Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. Uh, Sherry is going to bring our reading for us. Um, So I read from Psalms 139, verses 1 to 16. And it says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon horizon, or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold onto me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Amen. Thank you, Sherry. You can take that down. Um, Thank you, Sherry. Uh, Sherry is a legend. Um, She and her husband, David, who uh, sometimes is here involved in the worship team, are two of my favorite people. And they're just gems. If you don't know them, you should get to know them because they are awesome and they are you know increasing the Ghanaian representation in the church um, so you know this can only be a good thing well good morning good morning good morning um, it is lovely to be here with you today I have the privilege of bringing today's word and just sharing with you a little bit of what I believe God has put on my heart in relation to Psalm 139 um, It's staggering to me, James, that you shared today about hospitality and about when somebody is coming over to your house or whether you're, um, you know, going to a party or going to a gathering because actually you and I haven't connected and I didn't know what you were going to speak about and you didn't know what I was going to speak about, but my, my main illustration today is all about hospitality and all about when we um, are... So I just think that that means... You know, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't really believe in coincidences. Um, But yeah, let me talk to you about hospitality. It is a wonderful thing. Um, I'm sure we've all had different experiences where we've either been on the receiving end of or been able to show some hospitality uh, to a friend or to a family member. Um, You know, maybe we've traveled and we've stayed at a relative's house or we've stayed at a friend's house. Um, Maybe we've been a guest in somebody's home who we didn't actually know that well, and they just made us feel really, really welcome. Or maybe you've been to a wedding or 
a party. Um, I love that Timothy and Palumi are here this morning because just a few weeks ago we had their baby naming ceremony and it was just a wonderful time that I was blessed to be there for and do some worship at. But one of the most blessed things about it was I got a goodie bag to go home with, right? I got a bag and it was full of snacks. It had water in it. It was full of drinks and church, praise the Lord, there was jollof rice. There was jollof rice. Jollof is something that I felt like I had tried and I knew before I came to Birmingham, before I came to Birmingham City Church. But I'm happy to say that in the four and a half years I've been here, the blessing has only increased. And I am looking forward to even greater increase in Jesus' name uh, for the role of jollof rice in my life. Um, I have to say, I have to say, I have tried more um, Nigerian jollof than I have tried Ghanaian jollof, guys. Um, And I have to say, I haven't tried that much West Indian jollof since I got here either. So, you know, I'm not, I'm just, just putting it out there. Like, rice and peas, rice and peas. Okay, I've tried, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, back in the room, back in the room. Oh, Kev, the Lord is just saying, Kev, don't start something you can't finish. Um, when I was growing up, um, my family had a, a real sort of hospitable thing as well. Um, especially when I was a teenager, I would often have friends over for the weekend or friends over for the evening. And, and if I remember this conversation, if it happened once, it happened a thousand times. My friend Ed would come over and we'd be hanging out in the living room. And my mom would call me into the kitchen and she'd go, Kevin, is Ed hungry? And I'd go, he's probably not. He said he had his dinner. Just go and check anyway. Okay. So I go into Ed. Ed, mate, are you hungry? No, 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 I'm grand. Okay, so I go back into my mum. And no, no, he said he's grand. He's not hungry. No, he's just saying that. He's just saying that, she used to say. Go and ask him again. He'll eat something. So I go back in. Ed, are you hungry? Are you sure now? Are you really sure? No, 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 I'm grand. I'm grand. I'm grand. Okay. Yeah, no, ma'am, he says he's just, he's not hungry. He's just, he's had his dinner. Had his dinner before he came out. And she'll go, I'll talk to him. (laughs) She'd come in and she'd go, Ed, are you hungry? And he'd go, no, no, I'm grand. I'm grand, which in Ireland is like saying, no, thank you. Um, I'm grand. And she'd go, are you sure? And he'd go, yeah. And he'd go, she'd go, if I made it for you and I put it in front of you on a plate, you'd eat it, wouldn't you? And he'd go, all right, okay, yeah, fair enough. And you know what's worse then? She turned to me and she goes, see, I told you he was hungry. And it was just, there was just such a link between hospitality and welcome and food. And I know that that is something that is going to be commonplace in so many of your different families. Um, Now, in ancient Israel, which is what I want to talk about for a minute, hospitality and the way that somebody would be treated as a guest in someone's home, it wasn't, it was governed by strong cultural tradition and expectation. It it wasn't just a polite thing. It was something of a moral institution. Now, if you think of the life and times of somebody in the ancient Near East, um, the nomadic, harsh desert existence of the people of Israel historically, it's, it's easy to understand why the custom of welcoming the stranger or the weary guest into your home became so central to Jewish life. Leviticus 19.34 actually states it outright. It says, you will regard the stranger who resides with you as if they were a native born amongst you. You are to love them as yourself 
for you too were once strangers in a strange land. This custom of hospitality extended far beyond what we may typically understand as hospitality today, usually involving giving like the best treatment, the best food, the best lodgings, the best of whatever the host had to give the guest the best treatment possible. Now, there are frequent examples of this throughout the Bible. Think of Abraham when he was visited by the three angels. The word says that he saw them coming in the distance and he ran. He ran to meet them and he, and he invited them in and he treated them with a lavish food and the best of everything that he had. In the book of Acts, Paul and Timothy encountered a woman called Lydia who gave her heart to the Lord and was baptized. And Acts 16 says that she then urged them, she urged them, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, you must come stay at my house. The word is actually littered with these kind of stories. Um, aside from food and shelter, though, one of the main ways that um, an Israelite would show hospitality to a guest would be to anoint them. Now, we often talk about and hear about anointing here in church, and we usually mean that person is very gifted and blessed by God in what they do. They're anointed. Or you might be in a prayer service and come forward for prayer and somebody might anoint your head with oil, the little bottle, and they give you a dab and they're praying for you and they want you to be healed or they want you to be blessed or they want you to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit or they want you something broken off you that has been holding you captive. That's kind of like the main association we have for anointing today. But actually, in, in ancient Israelite times, in ancient Israel, 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 it is a much more practical thing. It would be not just a polite little dab on the forehead, but it would be massaged into the hair and into the scalp, into the beard. Um, it would be massaged into the face, into the neck and shoulders. And it wouldn't just be, you know, little polite, fragrant, little bits of oil. You're talking about rich oils and ointments that are, that are seasoned and, and, you know, perfumed with the spices and fragrance and aromas, so much so that it would just completely be marinated in it. So it was something that was done as a kindness Somewhere between a moisturizing routine, uh, uh, allowing somebody to freshen up when they come to your house, and allowing them to borrow your most favorite, most expensive cologne. Um, it's all to do with honoring them as a guest. And if you were anointed as a guest at somebody's home in Israel, the, 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 the scents and the fragrance and the aromas and the oils would get so deep into your skin and into your body that for days, for weeks, you would walk around and people would know that you had been anointed. In fact, in um, certain religious festivals and, and times of great celebration, they would not just anoint the, the head and neck, face and feet and hands, but they would also anoint the chest and the back. They would anoint the whole body. And actually, in this culture, the, the presence of anointing is seen as something of great joy, and the absence of anointing would almost seem as if you were mourning. But I want you to remember this image of anointing, this idea of being drenched in these wonderful fragrances and perfumes, and knowing that you would carry that fragrance with you for weeks, because we are going to come back to anointing later on. Um, 
So yeah, Psalm 139, finally getting into it, Psalm 139, uh, which Sherry read so well for us. This is a psalm written by David, and it is typically held to be a psalm of praise. Um, The book of Psalms is the prayer book of Israel. It's not a coincidence that it was, even though we have it all as like the book of Psalms and all the chapters, if you look at the original arrangement of the book of Psalms, it's separated into five books of Psalms which we've grouped all together and just called one book. But that was intentional. Like the Torah, it had five sections, and it was expected that this book of Psalms would be the prayer book of Israel and also be instructive for the people of Israel as a means to pray, as a means to interact with, and as a means to trust God. That's a huge psalm. Like We looked at 16 verses of it just then, but it goes up to verse 24, and there's a lot in it. So we're never going to get all of it out in one message. (laughs) So I'm going to focus just on one key thing um, based on three key truths. So here are three truths I want you to take away today based on this psalm. Number one, we are surrounded by God's presence. Okay, God's presence is everywhere. It is in us. It is with us. It is near us. It is everywhere. We are surrounded by God's presence. Number two, we are deeply known by God. God knows us deeply and intimately, greater than we even know ourselves, and that's a good thing. And number three, we are, as the scripture says, purposely and wonderfully and wondrously made. And another translation says, fearfully and wonderfully made. These, th- these three things, that God's presence is everywhere, that we are deeply known, and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, these reflect David's certainty He knows in this moment when he's writing this psalm. These are things that he is sure of. And they give us a real insight into how David saw God at this moment in his life. Um, But set against these three truths that we're going to look at today, I also want to look at three kind of challenges or tendencies that we have as human beings um, and how God can use the truth of this psalm to draw us deeper into relationship with him. Is that okay? You still with me? I know it's hot. Um, but if you remember one thing from today, let it be this. I promise you, just one thing. Forget everything else if you want. Please don't. But if you want, remember this one thing. This is the truth that I want you to take away with you and be thinking about for the week to come. If you could only see yourself as God sees you, you would never be the same again. If you could only see yourself as God sees you, you would never be the same again. I promise you that. So we see from this psalm how David sees God and the nature of their relationship. But if we're honest, depending on the season, depending on what life looks like for us, we're not always living in that same place. I would say it's probably part of the human experience. It's nearly impossible to always live in that place where everything is good, your faith is good, God is good, you know, and you're just skipping through and everything is great. Like, life doesn't work like that, does it? It doesn't really work like that. And let's be honest, there are things that can cause us to stumble. There are things that can cause us to doubt. There are things that can cause us to question, to fear, to become disconnected, to become isolated. But I think this psalm can be instructive for us about here's how we might feel and here's what ourselves or the world or the enemy might say. But here's what God has to say. And it's true and it's good. 
and it is instructive to us in terms of the nature of our faith. So the first challenge we sometimes face is sometimes we withdraw from God. We don't mean to, but we do. We sort of withdraw. We might be, uh, it can look like a, a, a number of different things. It can be caused by a number of different things. It might be, you know, we've suffered a disappointment or we've gotten distracted or, um, you know, we have a need for control and God is asking us to lay something down or we have a fear or we have a doubt. could be any number of things, but we can withdraw from God. And it's not that we consciously don't want to involve God. Of course we do. But we are complex beings and things can seem to get in the way, right? And before we know it, we don't feel in the right headspace and suddenly days have gone by. Now in extreme examples, um, that actually can lead to a loss of faith or a breakdown of a relationship with God. But for most of us here today and watching online, it, it probably just means that we struggle on, on our own without God's help longer than we need to before we bring it to him, right? There have been times, I'll, I'll tell you myself, there have been times in my life where, you know, I've brought something to God, you know, in worship, like tearfully at the front, and, and God has said, like lovingly and kind, you've been carrying this for so long. You could have come. You could have come. I have always been here. For most of us, it probably means that we are struggling on with things that we were never meant to bear alone. So we withdraw from God, but the encouraging truth is God is always with us. God is always with us. He is always with us. The truth is, church, like, let's be really honest, we couldn't actually escape him if we tried, right? We could not escape him if we tried. That's what this psalm says. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold onto me. Honestly, <laughs> let's just be really honest here. Trying to escape the presence of God is like diving into a swimming pool and trying not to get wet. It just is. It's like diving into a swimming pool and trying not to get wet. That is how present he is in creation, in our lives, in the world. And this shouldn't scare us. It's not like, you know, God, give me, my, give me some time, please. Give me some, like, it's not like God has got bad boundaries. I promise you, he is just gracious and kind, and he is always with us. We worship a God who is near, a God who desires to be present in every part of our journey. He is always loving, he is always kind, he is always ready to offer grace, ready to offer compassion and mercy. And if we can accept this, we can realize and just come to the conclusion that there's no point in trying to avoid him. So let's surrender our control. Let's lay it down and let's, let's, let's embrace the greater freedom that comes with knowing that God is always with us. Amen? So that's the first one. We try to withdraw, but I promise you, God is always with us. And that's a good thing. The second thing is we can sometimes feel shame. We can feel shame. Now, we hear terms like guilt and shame a lot in church, usually in a worship song. You know, uh, what's um, worthy is the lamb? Bearing all my guilt and shame, in love you came, gave amazing grace. I love that song. Why don't we do that song anymore, Sheila? Um, yeah, we need to talk to the guy that decides those things. Um, but guilt and shame are not the same thing. Guilt is like when we know we've done something wrong. Guilt is 
I've done something wrong. But shame is it's deeper than that. It's, it goes beyond that. It says, there's something wrong with me. Guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. There's something wrong with me. And we all know the great de- declaration that Paul makes at the start of Romans 8, where he says, we now know that there is no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ. And we know it and we recognize it. But if we're honest, there's probably days, right, where that feels more true and days where that feels less true, right? I can't be the only one. Um, Days where it feels more true and days where it feels less true. What often happens is we make a mistake, we beat ourselves up about it, and with the remorse of our actions in our hearts and the voice of the enemy in our ear, we ask ourselves not just, why did I just do that? We ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? Yeah, we feel shame, church, we do. But the truth that Psalm 139 tells us is we are deeply known and accepted no matter what. Amen? We are deeply known and accepted no matter what. And I'm going to tell you why. None of this is a surprise to God. None of it. We just heard it in the scripture that every one of the days that we would live and breathe and move were written in his book even before they came to being. (laughs) You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. So if God knows us as well as the scripture says that he does, he knows even the words we speak before they come out of our mouths. And he chose us anyway. Right? He chose us anyway. Then we know that God does not put shame on his people. Amen? God does not put shame on his people. The truth is that shame and the devil would seek to keep people in chains. But God is in the business of setting people free, church. God is in the business of setting people free. And I believe that today, if you're carrying around shame... I believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to break that off your life today. Is there faith in this room for this to happen, church? I believe that God can break off shame in this room today because he is kind. So that's the first one. Yeah, the first one, we, uh, sorry, that's the second point. The first point is that we withdraw from God. Second point is that we feel shame. But actually, God's presence is everywhere, and we are deeply known, loved, and accepted The third thing that sometimes happens is we doubt our worth. We doubt our worth. Because it all comes down, this whole talk really kind of comes down to how we see ourselves. And I think we have a self-worth crisis going on in our world at the moment. And there are so many different things trying to speak to people's worth, trying to speak to our worth, trying to speak into our identity, trying to speak into who we are, trying to speak into what, is success, what makes success and what does it look like to flourish. But this cuts right to the heart of what we're talking about today. Our circumstances, our insecurities, the world, the enemy, they speak things over our life, church, and they're just not true. Sometimes we even look at Jesus and all that he's done for us through the work of the cross and we feel undeserving. We do this thing where we say, God, what you did on the cross, it was so wonderful, it was so incredible, but I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. 
But the word says, the word says, we may doubt our worth, but he has made us worthy. He has made us worthy. And what it's going to require on our part is a little bit of a shift in our thinking. We need to, we need to take the transactional thinking of the world that is here and lay it to one side. And we need to embrace a kingdom mindset. I'm going to say that again. We need to lay down the transactional thinking of the world and embrace a kingdom mindset. Because the truth is, our worth is not decided in the same way that the world measures worth. The word of God says it was him who created our inward parts. He knit us together in our mother's womb. That we will praise him because we have been remarkably and wondrously made. If we believe God is good and he made us wonderfully, that's what the word says. Then we need to trade in this transactional thinking for a kingdom mindset. What does that look like? One of our worship team members has recently gotten a new car. And she used to have a second-hand car. And now she's got the same car. um, And it's new. Brand new. Same kind of car. Same make. Same style. But it used to be second-hand. That fell over on her. (laughs) Now she's got a new one. Now, the way the world works and the way that car purchase would have worked is... There would have been a price that was set based on the worth of the car. There would have been a price that was set based on the worth of the car. The parts would be newer. They would be less worn. They would be fresh out of the factory. There'd be new technology on board. And, you know, there would be less emissions, all of this kind of stuff. Based on the the worth of the car, the price was set. That is transactional thinking. That is a transactional way of doing things. But a kingdom perspective does not work like that. Do we know that, right? A kingdom perspective does not work like that. No, no, no. In the world, in transactional thinking, worth dictates price. But with the finished work of of Jesus on the cross, I want to tell you that price dictates worth. Okay? In the world, worth dictates price. Right now, in the kingdom, price dictates worth. Because Before we were holy, before we were redeemed, before we got our act together, the Word of God puts it like this. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The way the world works is they look at the worth and they set the price. The way that we as believers, we can look at the price that was paid and know that it decides our worth. Amen? Price dictates worth. Price dictates worth. And I'm going to go into it even deeper because the truth is, the truth is, we would then know what we are worth based on how much the price was, based on what the price cost. And what did it cost our God? What did it cost Jesus to pay that price? It cost him everything. It cost him everything. So if our worth comes from the price and the price was everything, what do you think we're worth to God? Everything. Come on, somebody needs to say that out in this room. What are we worth to God? everything, everything. We are worth everything to God. So we need to trade in this 
transactional way of thinking for a kingdom mindset. Think of a great potter making great works of ceramic, you know, pots and jugs and clay and crockery. And imagine the pot turning around to the potter and saying, you've not made a very good pot here. I don't think I'm a very good jug. I don't, mm, what right, what insight, what understanding could the pot possibly have to know whether it was a good pot or not. No, let's get this truth into our mind. We are but clay in the hands of the great potter. He has decided the price, and the price has set our worth. Amen? The price has set our worth. We get so het up in, am I worthy of the cross? Am I worthy of the cross? Church, it was never about whether we were worthy. It was never about whether we were worthy. We could not have earned the cross. We could not have earned what Jesus did for us on Calvary. It was a free gift of grace. It's not about whether we were worthy or not. It's not about whether we are worthy or not. It is his love that makes us worthy. I'm going to say that again. It is love that makes us worthy. It is his love that makes us worthy. Expressed through the cross. Expressed through his willing sacrifice. His death, his burial, and his resurrection to new life. We're almost there. But I want to give you just a couple of more bonus encouragements. Who wants a bonus encouragement? Talk to me. It's hot. I need to know you're out there. Bonus encouragement. Let's go. Earlier on, we spoke about anointing in ancient Israel. And I want to take us to another story of anointing in the Bible, but not in the way that you might think. Earlier, we talked about like, you know, sitting at the table and being drenched in ointments and oils and about how we would carry that fragrance around for days, that we would have been drenched in those sweet fragrances and aromas. But Let's talk about the baptism of Jesus for a moment. I'm just going to take a drink. In that moment where Jesus got baptized, there was something incredible happening, not just in an earthly sense, but in a cosmic spiritual sense. Those of you who are familiar with the story know that what happens is Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and then suddenly there is a voice from heaven and the Spirit of God is said to have descended upon Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven from Father God comes out of heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Now, at this point Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done anything his ministry hadn't begun. He hadn't gone around preaching the word. He hadn't gone, you know, preaching that the kingdom is at hand. He hadn't done almost any of his miracles yet. He hadn't done any of it that we know of. And yet, even before he accomplished anything, God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And that same baptism in the Holy Spirit is available to all believers today. If you believe in Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior, if you have been baptized more often than not, that is what will be the catalyst for it. But you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the same way that the oils and the ointments and all of those things were poured out upon honored guests to make them feel welcome in the household, in the same way for all believers today, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, that is Father God, the anointer, pouring out the Holy Spirit, the anointing upon his people, the anointed, so 
that they would know that they are part of the family of God. Amen? They are part of the family of God. We are welcomed into the family. The divine trinity, the divine community of God that is constantly loving and worshiping itself. We are hidden in Christ and we are part of that divine community. So if that's you and you still having shame issues and you're still withdrawing and you're still having worth issues, let this be a bonus encouragement to you. Here is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. That is God's word to you today. Worship team, please come and join me again. We're, we're almost there and I appreciate it's hot, but stick with me just for another couple of moments. So if we have these challenges that we withdraw, that we feel shame, that we doubt our self-worth, and I, it's all easy for me to say to you, but the word says that this, this, and this, and it's true and it's good, but what should our response be practically? I think that it's quite simple. First and foremost, I think I would be asking God to help me surrender control. God, what are the things that I am trying to control that I need to trust you with? Secondly, make a choice, a conscious choice to look at these scriptures and choose to believe that what they say is true. That these ancient inspired holy words that say stuff about you are true because they come from the author of your life, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that was there at the beginning and will be there at the end, the most powerful, incredible, wonderful creator of heaven and earth. Of heaven and earth. He says, here is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the third thing that we, so the first, yeah, the first thing, surrender control. Second thing, choose to believe the scriptures. Make a conscious choice. Thirdly, cultivate a childlike faith. This is another thing that gets mentioned in church quite a lot, but cultivate, create in yourself, ask God to help you develop a childlike faith. What does that look like? Let me tell you what that looks like. Um, Stephen, who's in the drum cage right now, he has a son called Elijah who's recently turned two and just had his celebration. And this is just the most joyful, wonderful little kid ever. What happens regularly when we have two services is um, Stephen will be here from 7.30 in the morning sound checking. Uh, here is the worship team. And his wife, Shweta, Elijah's mom, will come in, bringing Elijah in through that door down there about 15 minutes before the start of our second service. And I got to tell you, it is the most joyful sight in the world to see that little boy lock eyes on his dad, raise up his arms and run down, run down the aisle, run down the aisle to his dad, run down the aisle to his dad. Let me tell you, there is no anxiety in that moment. There is no shame. There is no questioning about self-worth. There is no, there is nothing but trust. There is nothing but trust. And for us, Again, this takeaway truth that I want you to hear. If you could only see yourself as your Father in heaven sees you, it would change everything for you. Talk to this guy about his son and watch his eyes light up and know that that is how the Father in heaven sees you. And let's be like Elijah who just sees our dad and comes running. Amen? Should we just see our dad and come running? That would be incredible. I know I want that in my life. <laughs> One final story for you, and then we're done. Um, for those of you who have seen the movie Moneyball, you may already know this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. 
There, I don't know if any of you watch or play baseball. We're in the UK, so chances are pretty slim. Um, but it's quite similar to rounders, for those of you who aren't familiar. Somebody throws a ball, a, a batter hits it, and is trying to knock it as far away as possible. And then there's four bases in a square that, you, that the person who's hit it has to run around, try and hit all of the bases and get home before the ball is picked up by the opposing team and he's tagged and they get him out. That's called a home run. Um, so there's a, a minor league baseball player in America called uh, Jeremy Brown. And Jeremy Brown was not a very confident athlete. He could hit the thing far, but he was not very like active. He was not very mobile. He, he was not very confident. So what used to happen time and time and time again is he would... He would hit it far, but rather than run the whole way around and try to get all the way back around to home, he would run to the first base and he would wait there. And then he would wait for the next person to hit and then he'd do another base. So it would take him three or four really good hits from his team to get all the way around and to get home. And then there's this very famous time where something changed. And we don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, at this particular moment, he hit it and he decided to go for it. He went running with all that he had and all of his worst nightmares came true because as he turned around first base to turn and run for second, he fell, boom, he slipped, he tumbled and he starts panicking, he scrambles, he's like trying to claw his way back and poof. And, and he looks up and he goes, why are all my teammates laughing at me? Why are all of the opposing teammates laughing at me? And they tell him, he doesn't realize that the ball that he has just hit has gone like 50 feet over the end fence. It has gone 50 feet over the end fence. He hit a home run. He scored. He didn't even know he'd done it because he was so focused on what he thought he could do and what he couldn't do. He couldn't recognize a win when he saw it. He was, <laughs> the metaphor is clear, right? The metaphor is clear. We can hit home runs and not even know we're getting wins when we get them because we are too busy feeling shame, feeling low self-worth, feeling like we need to withdraw. But I promise you, if we could see ourselves as our Father God in heaven sees us, it would change everything. Amen? Amen. That is my word to you today. Praise God for his word. Praise God for his truth. And Lord, would you... Put this deep in our hearts. Let's, let's sing, guys. In a moment, we're going to have some prayer. But for now, why don't we stand together and let's just let this become rooted in our hearts.